This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Engineering Project Management Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping project managers sharpen their PM skills. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Engineering Project Management Podcast, myself along with my co-host Matthew Douglas will be speaking with James Taylor. James is a licensed professional engineer as well as an associate vice president at Verdantis, and James has come a long way in his career from a young engineer to an associate vice president overseeing engineers and project managers. And so what James is going to talk about today is how a technical professional can transition into not just a project manager, but also higher level leadership roles. What does it take? What are some things that you can do? And what I love about what James talked about to us is he gave very practical and specific actions that he's taken to improve his communication skills, to become a better technical leader. And I really think that if you just try a couple of these strategies that James shares, you can really make a difference in your career. With that, let's jump right in. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest onto the show for today. James Taylor is a licensed professional engineer. He's also an associate vice president at Verdantis. James, welcome to the Engineering Project Management Podcast. Anthony, it's great to be here. We're happy to have you. Excited to talk a little bit about your efforts in project management. Kind of before we jump in though, James, maybe just give our listeners a little bit of your background, what you do today on a day-to-day basis at Verdantis. I am a associate vice president, as you mentioned, also a senior project manager, and I run our civil engineering group out of our Wilmington, Delaware department. So I oversee about 25 project managers, senior project managers, engineers, and uh, landscape architects and surveyors uh, in our group where we service the quad state region of Delaware, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and New Jersey. I got my engineering degree from University of Delaware, worked for a number of years, earned my PE, and then quickly became went from a project engineer to a project manager to a senior project manager and now leading our group here in Wilmington. So uh, it's been a pretty quick acceleration of my career over the past few years, uh, but excited in the position that I'm in and, and uh, really uh, passionate about engineering as a whole. Being selected as Young Civil Engineer of the Year in 2021 is really a remarkable achievement and congratulations for that. Thank you. Can you share some of the things that you did that led to that honor? It was an incredible recognition for myself. I was not aware that I was even nominated for the award. I did a lot of great things, but I think really it's all about the team that was around me. We were part of some large projects uh, here in Delaware, one of them being uh, Insight Pharmaceutical, who was building their uh, corporate headquarters and the expansion there. Was able to really kind of take that on and manage the team. Like I said, it's one of those things where as an engineer, we want to be the best that we can and, and come up with the most unique ways of solving 
our clients' problems, but realistically, it's all about the team around us and and empowering them to really be all that they can be and really build them up and, and grow them. So while I want to say I did a lot of great things uh, to get to this honor, it's been the team that's been around me and the mentors that I've had that have empowered me to be that way so that I can really grow and be better. So I'm passionate about engineering. It's one of those things that growing up in high school, it was something that I identified. I wanted to be an engineer. I wanted to make the world a better place. I wanted to build a better tomorrow. Those things all tie back into engineering. And so when you're passionate about something, it's easy to really go after it with all that you have and and really make a difference in the world around you. James, you talked a little bit before about how there's kind of been rapid growth for you in your career, kind of into the managerial leadership side of things. Really, all engineers start their careers in technical roles. That's what we do. We go to school for technical background. Can you share some insights based on your experience of kind of making a successful transition from that technical role into project management and leadership? Maybe talk about some challenges that you faced or we might face along the way and and how you might overcome them. One of those challenges for me was um, I actually started an internship right out of high school. Um, I had a great opportunity of being a part of an engineering firm in the first summer before I even got into my freshman year of college. And so I was getting the practical application right off the bat where going to school, I was learning all the different pieces behind the engineering. One of the struggles that I went through was I wasn't seeing the connection between what we were learning in school and what we were practically applying. And so you were exactly right with that technical aspect of, you know, the school's not necessarily preparing you for what you're going to do on the day to day, but it's really going to take you and it's the backbone of what you have in order to keep growing forward. So when I graduated college, I was really involved in the, what I would call the municipal sector. I was doing a lot of plan reviews for some of our municipal clients. And what I discovered was after a period of time, it was like, am I really doing a lot of engineering or not? And I had concerns about when I went to go sit for my PE, would I have the right experience to be able to be accepted as a PE, as a licensed PE? So what I did was I made a a career switch to a different company. And at that point in time, I really delved more into design work and really working on the engineering skills. The technical aspect there, that was a transition between what I was doing before and really having to learn how things are done from a design perspective or heavier design perspective than what I was used to on just smaller projects. But what I wanted to do, and I think it applied all the way through as I became a project manager, was the aspect of you have to be a continuous learner. If you're always learning, you're always going to be growing. And the more that you're able to do that, the easier those transitions are between the different steps in your career. One thing that I've always been, actually I haven't always been, is asking the right questions or asking for help. Everyone that's around you in, in your company is really there to help support, really should come alongside you to help you grow. If you're asking the right questions, you're going to grow. And if you're asking the right people to help, you're going to be successful. No one thinks that you know everything. I'm still learning today. I, Anthony, I'm sure you still feel like you're learning things today. Same with you, Matt. And so it's one of those things where you can only know what you know. And if you don't know what you don't know, then you have to write to ask the right questions to get to where you need to be. And so that was one of the key pieces for me is really asking the right questions, being a student of project management and understanding the aspects behind it so that you truly can take that transition from the technical side to being a project manager. Because like you said, Anthony, everyone kind of gets thrown into as you progress in your career, you really go from an engineer that's focused on technical to kind of being that project manager responsibility. And one thing that I'm trying to empower our employees now is 
you don't necessarily have to become a project manager as an engineer. You can still be strong technically because that project management skill set is not something that everyone has. We like to call this, and when we do our project management training programs, an accidental, right? A lot of us are accidental project managers, right? We fall into it. You know, somebody leaves the company, someone gets really busy and you just start working and you don't really get the training. And I think one thing I just wanted to highlight from what James said that's really important. Sometimes people call it bridging the gap, like going from school to going into working as an engineer in the profession, right? There's a gap there, like James talked about. Like the stuff you learn in school is critical and fundamental and we need it. It's also the backdrop of everything you're going to do in your career, right? Like you're not interacting with other consultants. You know, you don't have a supervisor when you're in college and you're so there's many other factors that come into play and you have to learn how to bridge that gap. There's another gap, right? When you go from that technical professional into project management and another gap that you have to bridge. And I think that James's strategy there of asking questions, like anytime you get into a new stage of your career, you have to ask a lot of questions of people. And usually in most firms, there are good people around you that want to help you, that want to mentor you, that want to guide you. You have to ask the questions and you have to ask the right questions to kind of fill that gap in so that you can then be successful. And I think that that's a really important part of transition. It absolutely is. And that was not something that came easy for me. I'm someone that wants to figure things out myself, doesn't want to ask for help. But the sooner you ask for help, the better of a position you're in because the longer you don't ask for help, the worse things get. Ask for help. That's the best thing that I can say there. Transition is always tough. And oftentimes we find that defining your clear project objectives and your scope is always key, right? But how does being clear on those objectives actually benefit you on a project? And what strategies can young engineers use to ensure that they define those objectives effectively? It's really the framework of everything that we do uh, when things start off with a project, right? If you don't understand what your end goal is, how can you take the steps to get to that? So the key piece as a young engineer is understanding those aspects and understanding what those different steps are. And if you can set that up that you know, hey, step A is this, step B is this, and, and you keep going down the pathway and you know what the long-term goal of that project is, you're able to then understand and also convey that understanding to the staff around you. You have to establish those clear project goals. So you're talking about your schedule, you're talking about your scope, you're talking about your fee, right? Those are the three things that are associated with it. If you don't understand what those goals are, then you can't get there. And that's also gonna then define what your success looks like, right? If you're gonna be successful when you meet your client's schedules, you're gonna be successful when you, you're making money for your company, you're gonna be successful when you have a great product. And so all those pieces tie together into that clear project objective and scope. And without that, you can't really move forward with a project. I guess you could move forward with a project, but what's going to happen is there's going to be chaos around it. People are, that you're working with aren't going to understand what the next step in the process is, where you're going. If you're not conveying that into what those projects, objectives and scopes are. Now for myself, one of the easiest ways to do that is coming up with like a project kickoff call with, with anyone as we're moving forward into a project. We would typically have one at the proposal stage that might be the project manager and a senior in charge to kind of look at, hey, this is what we're looking at as we're putting together this proposal, defining what that's, those items look like. But when it comes to the project itself, once you win that job, you need to basically pull that team together and say, hey, here's what we're working on. Here's the objectives. Because all of that is defining the why behind the what. 
a lot of times in engineering, I think we're so focused on get the job done that, that we don't think about the why behind what we're doing. And if you can convey that properly through these projects, objectives, and scope, you're going to have success as a team. Like walking the foggy path, right? Right. You have to have a light through that. And if you don't have the light, you're walking through the fog, you're walking through the dark, whatever that might look like. What's important about that twofold? One, like the scope of your project obviously is a very tactical list of deliverables that you need to be very clear on because if you don't have them, obviously you can't deliver them and then you get in trouble. But also I think what James talked about and you know, the why behind the project or the project objectives is a little bit separate, but just as important, if not more. And for example, like on a project, if you're doing a roadway project and the culmination or the end point of your project means that there's going to be a hundred less accidents on that roadway a year and you're saving like how many lives, right? That should be communicated to your team members, right? Because now they're getting beyond the fact that I'm just doing some drawings and specifications and I'm actually like helping to save people's lives. And so there's two sides of it and they're both really important. The tactical scope of work or deliverables that you have to deliver, that you don't want to deliver more than that or less than that, of course, but also you want to make sure that you are giving them the big picture objective. That's really important. Yeah, sometimes that's more difficult on certain projects than others. And I think it's one of those things where there is always a why behind what we're doing. It's You have to be really good at figuring out what that why is and conveying it. And when you're able to do that, it kind of adds that extra level of success because, you know, especially as young engineers and designers and whatever that might be that are working for you as a project manager, if you just kind of sit there and say, hey, here's the project, let's move forward. They don't understand why it's important. Anthony, you brought up road projects, but there's other things that that are out there, you know, bringing the right resources to a community, infrastructure improvements besides just roadways, you know, clean water, sanitary sewer, those types of projects. They're all important and make an impact in the world around us. And it's how do you convey the importance behind that to where that needs to be? James, one of the things that we hear all the time about project management is, communication, communication, and communication, and that it's so important project management. And I think we get that, but talk a little bit about the specifics of that. Where is project management communication important in project management? What should project managers be really focused on communicating? We know it's such a critical skill set and it's fundamental to success in project management. I would say it's not just a success to project management, it's it's a success to life. If you can't communicate any relationship, right? If you can't communicate with a spouse, if you can't communicate with your friends, your family, you have to be able to communicate and communicate appropriately. And so if you're able to communicate in your personal life, you need to translate that to communicating in your professional life. And and it's multifaceted, right? It's with your team that you're working with, it's with your clients, and it's with the outside world and the professional parts of things. So starting off with your team, communication should be a free-flowing street right? You should be able to talk to your team. Your team should be able to approach you with things and it needs to go back and forth. All pieces of critical information needs to be conveyed. Uh, One thing that I've found myself having troubles with sometimes is forgetting to let people know of something that I might have decided that's critical to the project. If you don't do that, your staff, your your team that's working with you is going to be down a different path. And then you get to where you need to be and you're like, that's not what I envisioned for this project. This isn't where I wanted things to go. So you have to communicate those things. One thing that I do that with my team is when I'm managing a project, I always make sure one other person is copied on any email 
that I'm working on. So I might have like a junior project manager or, or a, a senior project engineer or something like that. That's always in a part of communication. And that's tough because usually clients really want to talk with one person. And so you're always trying to loop that other person back in. But if you continuously message with a client without having your team there with you, it's that funnel, right? You might not be doing all the work as a project manager. You have that team around you doing that work. If they don't understand what the client's goals are, and this kind of goes back to the first step, if they don't understand those things, the project is not going to be successful. So the communication is that next step of after you've communicated your goals and your project success and what that's going to look like with your kickoff meeting, from there, that communication has to be continuous. So I talked about the emails, copying people in. I use Teams a lot for communicate, Microsoft Teams for communication a lot. I have channels set up for every single one of my projects and I make sure that that project team is on there. And internally, I try and make sure any communication related to that project is in that Teams channel because as people might be on vacation or you know, we have more than one person working on a project, which most of the time we do, anyone can look at that feed and say, oh, these are the decisions that were made on this project. This is why we're at with these things. So if you do have to pull someone in an emergency, they're not going back on what those decisions already were. So that's some internal stuff that we've done. Externally, that communication is just as important because you need to be relaying those messages back and forth with your client. Are you hitting your deadlines? What's the status? If you don't communicate on the regular with your client, even if it's a long project, the client wants to know what's going on because they want to have the assurance that what they're paying you to do is getting accomplished. So if you're not working on those things, if you're not communicating with that client, I would encourage people to start doing that. You have to understand your end user, your client's best communication tactic. For some people, email is how they want to talk. Some people, it's text message. You know, They want to text you. Some people, they want to pick up the phone and talk to you. Others want to meet in person. So you have to understand what the different, or even you know, virtually through Zoom or Teams or one of those things. So you have to understand your client and get the understanding of what type of communication do they want to see from the project and relay that forward. And then communication with the external. So we're talking about regulatory agencies. We're talking about anyone, you know, the public. We have to be communicating what's going on in the right format, in the right fashion. And each project is going to be a little bit different. So it has to be defined separately. But that's the key to communication is it's not just internal. It's not just the client. That clear communication helps prevent misunderstandings and keeps everyone aligned in the process. We talk about this in our training too, that you should be aware of every single stakeholder on your project and how they want to be communicated to, because that's really the name of the game. At the end of the day, right? If you're managing projects, you need to keep the project moving and you need to be aware of what's going on with all aspects of the project. But that doesn't mean that your client is going to communicate with you the same way as the architect or someone else, right? So you need to be aware of that. So that's awesome. That's good to hear. It's not just external clients, it's internal clients. Like if you're you're working on a team, so like in the role that I'm at now as, as kind of leading our civil group, I have a lot of project managers that are reporting up to me. And so I might hear from someone or I'm checking in on the status of a project. They might need help or whatever it is. I need to know what their best way of communicating is because if I send them a Teams message, but they really prefer email, it's going to sit there and sit in Teams of like unread. If they're not good at email, but they want to pick up the phone and talk, I need to be able to do that too. So each person is a unique individual and you have to understand their way of, of communication. Because as I said, communication is not just what I'm saying, it's, is it being heard? 
and how is that person responding? So it's cyclical effect. And I think another huge part of communication in general is, is uh, planning and scheduling. I mean, this is exactly what we're talking about here, you know, coming up with an effective communication strategy, because as you stated, you know, like there are people that prefer text message, like depending on the field or, you know, their level of expertise or just who they are as a person, they may prefer text message, emails, phone calls, whatever it may be. But I believe that setting up an effective method to collect that information so that you can talk to people in different types of ways that's it's actually able to, you know, be understood and heard is truly a game changer because that helps you so that you can actually get things done on time. That uh, absolutely goes into scheduling as well, because let's think of a popular platform like Slack, maybe, right? You know, you can't set up 20 different channels of communicating on the same project and actually expect for all of those things to get read by every single person on the team. It's just, and obviously that affects your scheduling. So in your opinion, how do you think that young engineers can effectively create those project plans and schedules to ensure that they have smoother project execution? Yeah, I think this goes back to the original, you know, project objectives. We talked about scope, um, a schedule is tied to that, right? Defining the success of a project, it all comes down to, are you doing good work? Are you getting it on time and on budget? A lot of times with projects, you look at the end goal and you say, here's where we want to be at the end of this project. That can be very big. That can be very large of a goal to sit there and say, okay, this is where we want to be. And so it's important to break down larger goal of that end result of the project into those manageable tasks that you can actually break down and assign roles, responsibilities of who's working on what. And then it also needs to create a realistic schedule that might account for any potential challenges that might be out there. So I do a lot of work in the land development world right now. And as everyone knows with with the, the market and the economy, it's, I needed this done yesterday. And uh, pushing that a lot is one of those things where you want to try and help your client meet their schedules and their deadlines, but there is a time that it takes to get things done and you can't rush the product because then you have bad quality, but having those schedule and understanding the schedule and saying, where can we accelerate the schedule? Where can we get to where we need to be? But it needs to be realistic. If you know a review agency is taking 30 days to, to review something, don't say it's going to be done in 20 days because that's not happening, right? That's a unrealistic expectation. You have to be realistic with yourself. You have to be realistic with your client. And so again, it ties back to communication, right? If you're developing a schedule and it's not realistic, that's bad communication with your client, with your internal team, because then you always feel like you're pushing saying, why isn't this done yet? How can we can't get this done? The client's asking for it. Well, this all goes back to the very beginning of the project of why do we set up unrealistic expectations for ourselves? So developing that plan that outlines your tasks, your milestones, both internal and external deadlines, and then who's going to be working on that project is extremely important. You know, we have some project managers that they're really good at project managers and they're looking for other people to come on to a project with them. And what we have to be very careful of is shuffling people in and out of projects because you have that startup time when you pull a new person into a project. It wastes time for the client. It wastes time for getting the project done. So the important thing is, is making sure that you have not just your schedule done, but who's going to be working on this, how many people is going to take and allocate those resources appropriately. So you got to sit down with it. You got to figure it out. And sometimes, especially right off the bat, when you become a project manager, you might not have those answers and that's okay. You got to figure out what it's going to take to get there and even go to someone who's more senior and say, Hey, 
I'm working on this. This is kind of what I'm thinking. What are your thoughts? At the end of the day, your company does not want you to put out bad product. They don't want you to be missing schedules, deadlines. They don't want you and not having enough resources to get the project done. So they're going to support you in those things. And so with all that being said, if you're able to develop that, talk it through with someone, you'll be able to uh, set yourself up for success as a project manager. You mentioned a couple of times, like when there are unknowns on the project, right? And that's something a lot of project managers, especially new project managers, don't really think about. There are many risks that are inherent in the projects that we work on in the AEC industry. I mean, it just, it is what it is. And so can you talk a little bit about how as a project manager, things you can do to kind of mitigate some of those risks, be aware of them, be proactive around them? What do you do for your projects when it comes to kind of risk management or risk planning? I think one thing that I've done recently is kind of an exercise called what can go wrong. <laughs> and basically it's sitting there and saying, okay, in an ideal world, this is what's going to happen, but what can go wrong in this situation? And for myself, like I said, working in land development, one thing that I've done more recently is incorporating subsurface utility scanning into some of our projects, especially on redevelopment projects. I had a project years ago where we didn't know there was there was nothing that showed that a storm drain pipe was in that location. And basically everything was buried over time. And they went to construction and they found it right where we had underground stormwater facility being placed. And we didn't know whether it was bypassing or anything. So we had to come up with all these things to fix it. Well, if we would have done some of that scanning up front, that would have mitigated the risk later on for the client to make sure that these things were being done or that this was a potential risk. We've seen it more recently where, especially in older municipalities and older towns, you might not know all the things that are, have been buried there for years. You know, where are these different utilities? And if you know them ahead of time, it helps minimize that risk associated with construction to make sure that all the design that you're doing is able to be put into place. So the what can go wrong is a great thing to do having those backup plans and being able to pivot and shift is always important as well. Being able to understand like, okay, I'm going down this path and hey, the regulatory agency changes some type of requirement that they, or something that they might not have enforced in the past. How do we shift in that role? Risk is a big piece. And I think it's one of those things that it's not taught in school about what that risk really is associated. And, and each company and each business has their risk protocols and the whole idea here is to make sure we're minimizing our risk. So we don't have anything come back to us. So part of that is also making sure we have good QAQC procedures in place, making sure that the team that's doing the design, that a second set of eyes is getting on that to make sure that there's not an issue with the plans. I mean, you don't want something going out to bid to being constructed and realize that you have a bust in your grades or a building is was placed and grading is actually going back towards the building. Like all these things that very simple and someone can catch them pretty quickly, but you want to have the things in place from a quality control perspective to make sure that you're not having an issue and mitigating those risks. In what ways do you think that engineers can actually stay up to date on project management skills and updating those skills and learning more over time? Hey, well, one thing is listening to this podcast, right? I mean, that's the best ways of, of doing it is find podcasts that you can continue to learn. I mean, podcasts are one of those things where you can be anywhere just listening and learning. That's an easy way. Reading, finding those resources that you can continue to grow and develop, finding those continuing education 
seminars that are out there to really be up to date on what's going on. There's a lot of things that are continuously changing in our world each and every year. Right now, sustainability is a big thing. It's been that way for a little bit. But if we're not doing what we can to learn about those things, we're not going to be able to serve our clients from the project management perspective to make sure that they're meeting those goals. So embracing a learning mindset and willingness to adapt to changing circumstances is really important. When you have those unforeseen challenges, you have to be open to adjust your plans, your strategies as needed. And being that continuous learner is part of that aspect of okay, this might've happened. How do I learn from this? I think one thing that as engineers, we can always be doing is um, after action reviews, right? We've done a project, we've done something. Let's take a pause before we jump into the next thing to say, hey, what went well? What didn't go so well? And how can we improve from these things? A lot of times we jump from project to project to project to project. And we learned something in that project three times ago that's applicable to this project now, but we didn't discuss it and we didn't really bring a team around it and say, hey, we learned from this. Let's make sure we implicate this today. If you're not continuously growing and getting better with each project that you do, you need to be looking at yourself and saying, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to be doing better? How do I keep elevating myself, the team around me, and the company as a whole? So embracing that is very key. I mean, th- there's articles out there that you can read. There's you know conferences you can go to. There's training sessions that are available on, on different platforms. So there's a lot of different ways to grow that education and, and really stay up to date on what's out there. Some of that, you have to find that yourself because each person learns differently. And me saying, hey, go read this book that some people are going to like, I don't like reading. There's definitely things that you can pick up from those aspects. So Each person's a little bit different learner. Find the thing, the way that you learn the best and use it. That's something that we actually talk about in one of our courses, the um, project management accelerator, just documenting the lessons that you've learned because otherwise, how are you actually going to know to avoid the same mistakes? I mean, if you see the same project and you're a company that's focusing on commercial construction and you're running into the same issue over and over and over again, common sense will probably tell you that you can't probably could have circumvented that issue by going through your older projects that you've done and face the same exact issue, right? It's not just the fact of yourself, but it's also the team around you, right? Because you've learned from something, but how are you passing down that knowledge to the people around you, right? How are you making sure that someone else doesn't make the same mistake that you made? And a lot of times I think as engineers, we sometimes are, we want to keep everything close because we think it's job security, right? We feel like, hey, if we keep everything here, then I'm going to stay around. But realistically, if you take what you've applied and you've put it on someone else and taught them and showed them, hey, this is what I learned back then. You might want to look at this here. That's going to help them because you've already made that mistake. Don't let someone else make that mistake too. And we actually, with some of our PM clients, what we do too is we'll have the project managers that all have like their lessons learned get on a call together, right? Now you have the project managers across the company sharing their lessons learned, just taking it to the next level of of knowledge sharing, which I think is important. I think one thing that James said that's really important and really one of the reasons we started this podcast is because a lot of AEC firms don't give their PMs training fast enough, right? Like all of a sudden you become a PM and hey, in a couple of months we may get you some training, right? But like you're kind of thrown into the projects like we said before. So now there are resources out there like this podcast and other resources 
where you can kind of, if you know you want to become a project manager in the future in another year or two, start learning now. Like start learning about scope, scheduling, budgeting, start listening to podcasts and things like that. There's really no excuse anymore for someone not to develop because the information is available in a million formats, quite frankly. If you are a young engineer that you're looking to be a project manager, like you're talking about, Anthony, start asking those questions now in your company. Start asking your supervisor, hey, can I sit with you as you work on this next proposal? Because a lot of times it's too late when we say, hey, congrats, you're a project manager. We haven't trained that person to be a project manager yet. We might not have given them all the tools that are, are to prepare them. We just say, hey, you're capable of this. Here you go. Well, if you start asking those questions, that's something that is on your career path that you want to grow in. Start asking those questions now. So start getting that learning, that understanding of why your company does what it does so that you can step into that role in the future. All right. So James has given us project management course in itself here in this episode. He's given a lot of good stuff that you can take and use. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick pause. We're going to come back in just a minute and we're going to get 1 p.m. pitfall before we wrap up with James. And we'll be right back. All right, we are back with James Taylor. James is a licensed professional engineer. He's also an associate vice president at Verdantis. He oversees quite a few project managers himself. James, we've talked about a lot of stuff already, and we want to wrap up here with what we like to call our PM pitfall segment. What would you say is the biggest PM pitfall that you've identified, and how would you recommend that a PM can either overcome it, avoid it, minimize it? What do you see out there that's a big, big challenge for PMs? I think there's a lot of, obviously, pitfalls out there. I'm going to talk about one that I've had probably recently. It's a tough one because it's over-trusting someone. I had a project recently where I um, had a senior project manager on it, was trusting that they were getting things done. And then when I checked in on that project, I realized that they didn't understand where they needed to go. They didn't understand the project. They didn't understand the requirements. And now we were coming up against a deadline. And because I had that trust and gave that leash a little bit too far out, I didn't realize where we were in the situation. And so that was a fault on my side because I trusted and, you know, maybe I should have been involved a little bit more. I should have been asking those questions, looking at those plans more frequently, making sure we were on the right path with that project. At the end of the day, that project ended up being over budget, behind on schedule. And so in my opinion, it was not a successful project. But what I learned from that is you have to understand each person that you're working with, their skill sets, their strengths, their weaknesses, and make sure that you tailor your approach to that team member in a way that's appropriate for them. You can't treat each person exactly the same. And so I'm a very trusting person. And uh, for me, that was a, a quick learn of I need to be more understanding of of everyone's skill sets. And if I can trust you, I, that's great, but I still need to, to figure out where you're at with things and make sure that not letting that leash go out too far, that when we have that deadline coming up, I'm not checking in at the last second and saying, hey, we're ready for this, right? And it's not there. So that's probably was one of the more recent PM pitfalls that I've had. Again, it's one of those things, if you go back to some of the other stuff that we talked about with with having effective communication and you know having those clear deadlines and, and also those intermediate check-in points on a project and you set those project 
objectives and scope, all of those things kind of come together to make that successful project. So don't be like me. Make sure you have those things in place for all your projects and and uh, you can be successful in what you do. I always tell people that the biggest misnomer about project management is that the word people is not in the phrase project management, right? Because there's so much people interaction that's required to successfully manage projects. James just gave one example, right? Understanding your team, right? Putting together the team in the right way if you have the ability to do that. That's something that just to keep in mind as we wrap up with James here, everything he told us today was really good. He gave us a lot of technical project management tips on scheduling and scope and all those things, but also what you talked about, James, communication, interacting with people, following up with people, I think are those things that you won't necessarily find in the PM manual, if you will, but they're probably those things that are going to push your project over the finish line in terms of being on time, on budget. That's what I found, really. Well, once again, James Taylor, Associate Vice President at Verdantis. James, thank you so much for spending some time with Matt and I here on the Engineering Project Management Podcast. This was great. I enjoyed it. And uh, good luck to all your project managers out there. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with James Taylor. James gave a lot of real practical tips and steps to become really a great leader. Yes, a project manager and and just an overall leader. And some of the tips he talked about in terms of interacting with people are things that every one of us as technical professionals that want to be great leaders must adhere to. You have to learn how to interact with people to be a successful project manager. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode at www.engineeringpmpodcast.com. That's engineeringpm for project management, podcast.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. And until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering project management endeavors.